You can listen to all episodes of Leonard ad-free on Wondry Plus. Join Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or on Apple Podcasts. We don't know what the hell just happened. We just had to hold it together the best we could. It's Commemoration Day, June 26th, 2021, the 46th anniversary of the Oglala firefight, and Chase Iron Eyes was just on stage in front of a crowd of 10,000 at the Black Voters Matter rally, a block from the iconic Capitol building in Washington, D.C. It was a beautiful moment, until a white man in an American flag cape, Navy uniform, and Michael Myers mask crashed the party. Like, he tried to, he, yeah. he tried to steal the show, him, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, Well, he's like getting kicked him in the back, like I felt like, really. <laughs> I pulled fuck. off the, the you're about, mask. You're about ready to fucking... That's Chase, conferring with the most badass grandma you'll ever meet, Oglala shootout survivor Jean Roach, who fled for her life with Leonard Peltier and the other Amsters while bullets were flying back on June 26, 1975. She was 14 years old at the time. I pulled oh, you were the one pointing the, 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 the mask off and then the 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 grabbed the flag. The, <laughs> maybe mean, these guys are uh, operatives, provocateurs. That's what I'm saying, too. Maybe they are. They You're listening to Leonard, the podcast series about Leonard Peltier, one of America's longest-serving political prisoners. I'm Andrew Fuller. And I'm Rory Owen Delaney. We've spent the last four years working to share Leonard's story with a new generation of people, who he is, how he ended up behind bars, and why we believe he deserves to go free. This is Season 2, Episode 6, What the Hell Just Happened?, In this chapter, we visit Capital City, where we encounter either an undercover federal agent or your garden-variety backyard luchador slash white supremacist agitator. It was the Jerry Springer show on acid, the kind of scene you really gotta see to believe. Luckily, we got it all on camera, including the scenes featured in our last episode, because we're adapting this podcast into a documentary with the one and only Chase Iron Eyes, who's co-directing the film with us. The working title is Land of the Free, and you can follow us at LOTF underscore doc on Instagram and Twitter. But enough self-promotion. Chapter 6 is a doozy, so let's dive in. We've got a lot of questions to answer, like what we were doing in D.C. in the first place. We were in town to document the arrival of the Peltier Freedom Ride, a cross-country horse ride designed to raise awareness about Leonard's case with stops in Nebraska, Missouri, Kentucky, West Virginia, and Virginia, en route to Washington, D.C. We were also there to amplify the Peltier Defense Committee's efforts to renew both congressional and public interest in Leonard's clemency petition. A lot had happened in the six months since Trump left office. President Biden canceled the Keystone XL oil pipeline, prioritized the investigation of missing and murdered indigenous women, and named Deb Holland as the new Secretary of the Interior, making her the first Native American to serve in the cabinet. There was also a new clemency letter circulating in Congress that was picking up signatures. Momentum was building, and after 46 years behind bars, there was reason to believe that Leonard had a fighting chance at freedom. So we dusted off the credit cards and bought some more plane tickets. After two years of the pandemic, this was our chance to finally go to DC and try to push Leonard over the line while there was still time. In advance of the trip, Andrew makes some phone calls to see if we can meet with congressional representatives from either party, but no one seems eager to sit down with us. Rory pulls the short straw and agrees to contact the FBI. After changing into clean underwear, I phone the Bureau's media department, 
or a voice recording instructs me to submit our interview request in writing. So that's what he does on Thursday, June 17th. My name is Rory Owen Delaney. I'm producing a new documentary about the case of Leonard Peltier. The film will update his story for a new generation in the context of the growing movement for criminal justice reform, racial equity, and indigenous rights. We'll be doing some filming in the D.C. area from June 23rd to 27th, 2021, and would like to interview someone from the FBI to get your perspective on the tragic events of June 26, 1975 and the surrounding controversies. The ultimate goal with the project is to promote healing and reconciliation in this country and around the world. Thank you for your consideration. Rory hits send, figuring we'll never hear back, given the subject matter and short notice. But he receives a reply the following Monday, June 21st. Hello, Mr. Delaney. We typically need about 14 days lead time to process requests for on-camera interviews. Can you please provide the questions you wish to ask so that we can see if the FBI historian can answer your questions or whether it would be more appropriate for someone else to do so based on the content? Thank you. Betsy Glick, Office of Public Affairs. Holy shit. The FBI was open to doing an interview. Then Rory noticed the second email from Betsy, a reply to her first message. Dear Mr. Delaney, please disregard my earlier email. As Mr. Peltier is still alive and there are ongoing petitions due to DOJ guidelines, the FBI is unable to conduct any media interviews until all legal issues are fully adjudicated. Betsy Glick, Office of Public Affairs. At 11.25 a.m., we were in business. At 11.36, we were bust. Less than 10 minutes after tentatively agreeing to an interview, Ms. Glick pulls the plug on it. Clearly, Betsy's boss had given her a quick five-minute primer on where we could stick our interview request. Of course, this isn't really shocking. I I think there's a lot of cover-up, and they'd have to explain what the hell they were doing there in the first place with guns blazing, supposedly investigating a pair of stolen boots. That's civil rights attorney Larry Hildes. The FBI. They want to be the good guys. We've got a whole new round of television shows about how wonderful the FBI is and how heroic they were. They've never been. Their major role going back to their formation was to attack the left. Anyone who dissents, especially anyone of color who's effective, is likely to be followed, harassed, otherwise attacked by the FBI. It is what they do. They nominally do operations against organized crime and other stuff, which gets them a lot of the publicity they want, but they also act as secret police, silencing dissent. And they've done so for their entire history. The FBI's counterintelligence program, COINTELPRO, actually goes back to the late 40s, went on all through the 50s, spying on movements, sabotaging movements, They went after MLK, they went after the Civil Rights Movement in general through letters that they wrote, made up, and sent, trying to persuade King to kill himself. When FBI wiretaps revealed Martin Luther King was having extramarital affairs, the Bureau penned anonymous letters as part of a campaign to try to harry MLK into killing himself. When he didn't take the bait, some, including many in the King family, believe the FBI engaged in a high-level conspiracy to assassinate him in April 1968. Civil rights icon John Lewis agreed. In his words, quote, 
I think there was a major conspiracy to remove Dr. King from the American scene. This kind of shameful behavior was far from an isolated incident. The Bureau was busy targeting other progressive activists of color, too. They went after black nationalists, pitting groups against each other by informants, trying to do everything they could to shut down student activism, the women's movement, the gay rights movement, the Chicano liberation movement, etc. And when they had to, resorting to military force, murdering Fred Hampton and Mark Clark in their uh, apartment in Chicago, the leaders of the Panthers. In 1967, Fred Hampton was classified as a radical threat by the FBI, who sought to subvert his activities by placing an operative in the local Panthers organization and sowing disinformation. On December 4, 1969, Fred Hampton was drugged, shot, and killed in his bed during a pre-dawn raid at his Chicago apartment. While more than 90 gunshots were fired in the assault by law enforcement, the occupants fired only once. Although initially ruled a justifiable homicide, Today, many consider Fred Hampton's death an assassination at the FBI's initiative. A lot of this came out because a brave group of activists, the People's FBI Liberation Movement, burglarized the FBI office in Media, Pennsylvania, and came up with thousands and thousands of pages documenting the spying and the sabotaging of groups and disrupting rallies and attacking people in their homes. And a lot of that came out then in the media. Frank Church, who was Democratic senator from Idaho, was the head of the Intelligence Committee, then held a series of hearings. In 1975, the Church Committee, a.k.a. the United States Senate Select Committee to study governmental operations with respect to intelligence activities, was formed to investigate abuses by the Central Intelligence Agency, National Security Agency, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And the FBI swore that they would never do this again. And then they started right up, and they have never stopped. They went after AIM with guns blazing, as if they were Custer and the 7th Cavalry all over again. They went after Earth First and staged stings and arrested people who had done nothing. And on and on and on and on until the present day. They list Black Lives Matter and groups aligned with them as dangerous extremists and domestic terrorists who they will take action to neutralize. So COINTELPRO was a specific operation that they engaged in. It is tactics that they still engage in. We'd love to share the FBI's position on COINTELPRO Leonard Peltier, and what went down at the Jumping Bull Ranch. But they're taking the fifth, and the show must go on. On Tuesday, June 22nd, we fly into Washington, D.C., where one of our favorite podcast listeners offered up her place in DuPont Circle if we tended to her demonic cats while she was out of town. On Wednesday, June 23rd, we head off in search of the free Leonard caravan, but they're on the move, and between numerous street closures and a novice Uber driver, it's looking hopeless. That's when we spot the procession in the distance and bail on our ride. Andrew watches our stuff while I take off on foot and run up on a small red car with free Leonard Peltier soaped in every window except the front windshield. Behind the wheel is Carol Gokey, the new acting director of the Defense Committee at the time. 
Carol tells Rory the caravan is en route to their permitted space near the Smithsonian's Native American Museum on the National Mall. For those of you who have never been to D.C. and are imagining the mall as an indoor shopping center with a Macy's, a Foot Locker, and a Dippin' Dots in the food court, it's not that. The mall is a landscaped park that sits between the Washington Memorial and the Capitol Building. If you've ever watched MLK's Dream Speech or Forrest Gump, you've seen it. Because of the summer heat, most of the pedestrian traffic that day concentrates on the tree-lined sidewalks, which run parallel to each other on either side of the park. The middle's just a wide open space, and that's where we find four freedom riders galloping their horses in a loose figure-eight pattern, which isn't something you see every day in Washington, D.C., so a crowd quickly forms nearby. That's where I bump into Gene Roach. Hey, how are you? Good, good to see you. Where are you guys coming from? Los Angeles. Oh, just shit. just last night. Really? Gene's been in town for two nights, but this is the first day everyone's in the capital due to numerous logistical issues including a broken horse trailer just across the Potomac River in Richmond, Virginia. This horse ride is here in Washington, D.C. They came from Nebraska all the way here to support freedom for Leonard Peltier. 45 years unjustly incarcerated. We want Leonard Peltier to be free for healing for all, freedom for all political prisoners. Honor the treaties. That's Mike a skater dude with a mop of curly red hair warming up the crowd. Next, Chief Matthew Black Eagle Man addresses the audience from atop his horse. He's in his 50s and wearing a traditional ribbon shirt and war bonnet. Our government doesn't want us to know they hold political prisoners within their walls. Leonard Peltier is sitting in prison because he defended his people just as much as any warrior in your U.S. military might do the same for your right. Leonard Peltier was an indigenous man who's sitting in prison and does not deserve to die in prison. He needs to spend the rest of his days having dinner with his family and his grandbabies that he's never seen. It's one step towards healing the fabric of this country. We are peaceful. We are peaceful people. We're not here to pick a fight. Help us lend a voice to find freedom for the man who is in prison for our rights and freedoms. Just as the chief is about to dismount, a question is directed his way. Sir, can you speak to the uh, the missing murder indigenous women and children movement? The person asking is a guy in his 40s in a desert camo vest with a press patch sewn on the back. He's filming the scene on a smartphone, and something about him seems a little off. What's Leonard Peltier's stake on on all of the, the children being unearthed at the Catholic schools? There was a time of assimilation for indigenous people. During that assimilation, we were put in boarding schools. A lot of things happened. Everything was designed to eliminate our culture from us. These boarding schools, they didn't have the kind of heart that it takes to take care of children. Just recently, there was a mass grave of over 200 baby children found near one of these boarding schools. At the end of May 2021, it was international news when the chief of the Tecumloops to Squapham First Nation announced the discovery of unmarked graves containing the remains of 215 children at the Kamloops Indian Residential School in British Columbia, Canada. It was the first in a series of grisly discoveries. I also want to speak about uh, missing children. Over the last year, 440,000 
children have gone missing in this country. That's an epidemic. I want to say this much because if you don't hear it, you don't know it. And if you don't know it, you can't help. That's why we're here. I want to say thank you for listening. I love each of you. I love the system that we live under, but it needs help. The children are missing. Leonard Peltier is in prison for political things. The fabric of this nation is frayed. Thank you. As the crowd dissipates, Gene asks if we know any of the press guys. In addition to Mr. Question, the guy mentioned earlier who was filming everything on his cell phone, there's at least two other random white guys documenting the scene. Both look to be in their mid-40s, appear to be friends, and seem somewhat out of place. I saw somebody wearing a press jacket, but, uh... Oh, okay, you don't yeah, know them, I meant to, no, I no, meant no. to talk to... That's yeah, our I meant infiltrator. To myself, but our agitator. Carol Gokey drops that bomb. But before we can get more details, the cops show up and request the removal of the horses. Evidently, the lawn has just been reseeded, and they don't want it getting trampled. Also, it turns out the defense committee doesn't have a permit for the spot on the mall we've been occupying. Carol apologizes profusely and gets let off with a warning. As the group starts into another song, a rickety horse trailer parks on 3rd Street to collect the Freedom Riders. The next day, Thursday, June 24th, we arrive at the Supreme Court to meet attorney Chase Ironeyes, the son of June Little, a Vietnam and Oglala vet who blew off his hand in the struggle for indigenous liberation back in the 70s. But we aren't the only ones there that morning. An older gentleman stands in front of the Supreme Court like a human billboard with a giant vinyl banner featuring an unflattering photo of President Trump alongside the text, Toxic Loser. The gentleman's name is Stephen, and since 2018, he's dedicated his retirement to political activism. Chase introduces himself, and the two get to talking. Our country seems to be going through a crisis. How we were founded and, and how we were formed, there were people who had lofty ideals. And we look in the mirror, that's the question. Or, that, or, or will we turn our backs on it again? And it's a dangerous, dangerous moment because the recalcitrants they're armed to the teeth. Yes, I, that we, I, I've said that regularly. This is a radical fringe, radical racist fringe. One third of the population. And they are well capitalized, they are well armed, and they are not as well organized as they could be because January 6th could have been a bloodbath rather than just four or five people losing their lives in the United States Capitol. On January 6th, 2021, a mob of 2,500 Trump supporters attacked the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. in an effort to disrupt the counting of electoral votes that would formalize President Biden's victory. Five people lost their lives in the mayhem, and four police officers who responded to the attack later died by suicide. Hundreds more were injured. Almost half a year later, the Supreme Court, the Capitol building, and even the Library of Congress were all still fenced off as a precaution against further violence. The violent, deadly insurrection on the Capitol nine months ago it was about white supremacy, in my view. The rise of hate crimes against Asian Americans during the pandemic 
and the rise of anti-Semitism here in America and around the world. The through line is that hate never goes away. That's President Biden speaking at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial in Washington, D.C. on October 21st, 2021. The visible presence during the insurrection of Confederate flags, a gallows, a hangman's noose, and an Auschwitz concentration camp t-shirt supports the president's thesis. In fact, white supremacy ranks as one of the biggest domestic terror threats in our country today, per the Justice Department, and with good reason. In 2015, in Charleston, South Carolina, nine people were shot to death by a white supremacist during a Bible study at one of the oldest black churches in America. In 2019, in El Paso, Texas, 23 people were shot to death by a white supremacist at a Walmart in the worst attack on Latinos in modern American history. And in 2022, 10 more people were shot to death by a white supremacist at a supermarket in a black neighborhood of Buffalo, New York. We are now, as a country, deconstructing our our racist and genocidal foundations. And fortunately, there are a lot more non-racist people in the country. Which is exactly why they're, they're trying to suppress the vote. They talk a big talk. But January 6th showed the country that they are not where they want to be. They, they think they can snap their fingers and mobilize and engage in some guerrilla urban warfare. It's hard for settler colonists to engage in guerrilla warfare by definition. But the Steve Bannons, the, the Proud Boys, the people who talk that kind of rhetoric, they're not as strong as, as they appear to be because they would have made a move. But that not, so much of it is based in fear, the not, hatred and the fear, not to forget that they're frightened of being, as they see it, displaced from their uh, perch. By 2044, experts predict the current majority ethnic group in the United States, non-Hispanic white people, will become one of multiple minorities in what some have dubbed the majority minority milestone. We have come a long way as a country with black America, with indigenous America with every race, color, creed, we're now recognizing that those classifications are just superficial. We're human beings, brother. And I know that you recognize that. I know also that you love this country. I love this country. We love these lands and these waters that they've given to us, to the indigenous peoples, a way to walk on the earth in balance. And now I believe that all Americans can wake up to that truth and we can do this together. So I I just wanted to come say hi and thank you for doing what you're doing out here. Thank you, because if we can become that beacon, if we we can have the courage to, to reach for those ideals, that idea of America, we can be a beacon for the world. Because I look at someone like Trump and I say, this asshole is a threat to the species. <laughs> that's, that's not an understatement, my man. This is our lives. This is it. This is the moment. Chase and Steven make salient points, and their conversation leaves us wondering if the so-called press team we came across yesterday was possibly playing for the other team, especially their ringleader, Mr. Question, the agitator. What was up with that guy? After the break, things get fishy. Hello, Anine. This is Louise Erdrich. This is Amy Nelson. This is Tom Morello. This is Connie Nelson. This is Eugene Brave Rock. This is Peter Coyote. And you are listening to Leonard. 
a podcast series about America's longest-serving political prisoner, Leonard Peltier. Power and prayers to the man paying the price of the crime of being indigenous in the 20th and 21st century. We continue to support Leonard with our solidarity and love in the hope that he will be where he deserves to be, which is free. Together, we can finally send Leonard home to his family and friends to live out his remaining days painting, writing, and enjoying his freedom. The White House comment line is now open. You can wait for a volunteer or leave a recorded message by calling 202-456-1111. Leonard says, if they've done this to me, they can do it to you. Until Leonard Peltier is free, none of us are free. People, lend your voices. Let's be heard. End the injustice. Hashtag Free Leonard Peltier, America's longest standing political prisoner. We love you, Leonard. After cooling off with an ice cream outside the Supreme Court, we meet the director of the Peltier Defense Committee, Carol Goki, on the mall where she's setting up an information booth in the shade of the trees not far from yesterday's gathering. One of the big things I wanted to do with Leonard was to work on his health. So I was able to get a geriatric doctor to listen to, you know, what's going on with him. But she said just by the fact that he's lost so much weight, he may have prostate cancer. He's got the signs. They need to know now that Leonard needs to be set free. And we don't need to wait. So we've got to keep pushing. I know that engaging U.S. veterans and the cause for clemency for Leonard Peltier is a very important step. Chase is referring here to the Freedom Riders, several of whom are veterans. Suddenly, an old yellow school bus is rolling toward us down the pedestrian sidewalk. Ta-da! Here's our bus load of grandmothers. And these folks came from Wounded Knee with nothing but the clothes on their back and the love and support in their heart, and they're not leaving until we get heard. As folks get off the bus, Chase recognizes some familiar faces from Pine Ridge. Did you jump on this bus from the knee or what? Did you? All right, man. What the heck? I was like, I know this guy, whatever. And then I was like, from the knee, man. (laughs) Watch day, man. Gene kills the music and gathers the group of mostly Native Americans into a circle. There's no sign of the Freedom Riders or Mr. Question, Carol's agitator. So I'm open to decide what you guys want to do this afternoon. The bus can be in front, you know, um, now this place is all closed. We're not going to be able to access to talk to anybody unless you have a connection. But that's why we put right on top of our bus, Free Leonard Peltier, so... Anybody standing above us, the snipers, whatever, they have a message. <laughs> so that was our thinking. We had another sign, but then we're caught. But yeah. Gee, let, let me let me just add. Uh, my my name is Chase Iron Eyes, Lila Taya Yahipelo. It's really good to see everybody here. But if we if we stick together, we can be visible. Yeah. So I really, uh, I, I want to stress that, that whatever we do, we should talk about it and just do it together. I, I'm willing to, to support all of that. After the group circle, people return to catching up. Are you from this country here? I took citizenship in 2003. Okay, all right. Yeah, well. I'm from Peru, the Incas. Yeah. They are my ancestors. Chase engages a tourist who stops to check out the information booth. He'd seen the horses trotting through town yesterday and had taken some photos. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the Sioux Nation. 
Really? Yeah, that, that is where I'm from. And so they split us up into all these different, what they call reservations. The history repeats itself when the Spanish from Spain mm -hmm. went to South America, I mean Mexico, Central America, South America in the 1500s. They committed genocide. They killed Indian Peruvians because they didn't want to convert into Catholicism. Yes. If you didn't take Catholicism, they declare him that they were worshiping the devil. Yeah, a heathen, barbarian. A barbarians, <laughs> and because of that, they killed him. They killed thousands of Indians. Yeah. That's when Oglala Sioux tribal president Kevin Killer makes a cameo. President Killer is in D.C. to attend the National Congress of American Indians. He's in his early 40s and wears his traditional long hair with a blazer and a bolo tie. Gene fires up the sound system. This is the president of the Ogola Sioux tribe, Kevin Killer. They just recently passed a resolution in support of Leonard Peltier's freedom. And he's also made a proclamation on June 26th to be Leonard Peltier Day. I'll let him explain that. A few days earlier, President Killer had officially proclaimed June 26th Leonard Peltier Day. Now, tribal workers will get back-to-back -back paid holidays for Victory Day on June 25th in celebration of Crazy Horse's defeat of Custer and the 7th Cavalry, and June 26th for Leonard Peltier Day. Again, I shake your hand with a warm and good heart. You know, uh, my Lakota name is close to earth. My English name is Kevin Killer. You know, I appreciate all of you for being here, especially riding the bus. I know that the bus actually stopped in Wounded Knee and pick, <laughs> picked up some of our constituents. So, you know, thank you for making that effort and thank you for continuing the fight. I'm out here in support because I know that Leonard is having health issues. And, uh, you know, I get the updates from my Auntie I and, uh, you know, and he just offered some condolences on Crow Dog. Hopefully we'll have some movement this year. So again, I appreciate all of you for, for being here. You know, we, we're here in full support. So what we'll be to you President Killer poses for photos with Chase, Gene, Carol, Mike, and about 20 Peltier supporters in front of the big yellow Free Leonard School bus with the Capitol building perfectly positioned in the background like an activist Christmas card. Until a not-so-friendly park ranger arrives on the scene and demands to know who's in charge. Someone points out Carol. This is an illegal, illegal use of um, park property, so you cannot sell anything here. In addition to the information available at the booth, Carol has coffee mugs, pins, and shirts for sale. But they aren't exactly flying off the shelves. She's mostly giving away stuff to supporters for showing up. So I'm letting you know, so this cannot be here, so we gotta take this down. How you doing? You can take my picture all you want, that's fine. And, and, and then the bus has to go to, the bus has to be off our property. You can park the bus on anywhere on Jefferson or Madison, or you can park it on Dirt Street. So the bus has to move as of, as of now, and this has to be shut down and um, put away. Apparently, you aren't allowed to park school buses on the sidewalk at the National Mall, especially when they're festooned with free Leonard Peltier banners, painted with hippie flowers, and look like something out of the electric Kool-Aid acid test. We're also informed that we're not in our permitted quadrant. Evidently, we're supposed to be in quadrant number 201, but there's one minor problem. No one knows where that is, including Ranger Torres. I don't know what 201 is, but I know it's not this resume, because this is this. this. You don't know how, how she's well, I'm telling you, this is not 201. I don't know what 201 is. I can find out, but I, can, I, but I know yeah. this is not 201. Okay, yeah, yeah, I have no problem doing that for you. I can do that. Okay. So After getting us directions to 201, 
Ranger Torres loiters to make sure we clear out. That's when Andrew and I hop into the bus with Gene Roach and the Wounded Knee Grannies. Mike starts up the engine. One of the wheels is going to go off this curb here. All right, come on. The bus bottoms out in between a line of ice cream trucks parked on 3rd Street Southwest, just across from the Capitol Reflecting Pool. That's Mike's friend Wendy, a young mom who's toting her toddler along for the trip. She and Mike drove the grannies over 1,500 miles from Wounded Knee, South Dakota to Washington, D.C. We're going to go over and meet Bernie Sanders, try to meet him when he goes to speak on that stage that they're setting up there. And then from there, meet the horse riders in the Department of Interior. Between the Capitol building and the Washington Memorial, a stage is being assembled as the endpoint for the We Can't Wait March, where activists would be calling on Congress to give citizenship to undocumented workers. The plan is to approach the organizers and see if Chase can speak before or after the keynote speaker, Senator Bernie Sanders. Right, we got the president of the Oglala Sioux Tribe and Chase and the elders, survivors, shoot out and we're all planning these actions. Bernie's coming, and they're dumping their manure. I love how it comes down to the wire like that. Mike's referring to Horse Nation here. Evidently, someone had just gotten a status update from them in spite of their increasing aloofness. The bus parks and everyone regathers on the mall, where they strategically position themselves for maximum visibility. Hundreds of immigrant activists come marching in where they're welcomed by Peltier supporters waving free Leonard posters and banners. I'll just tell a little bit about myself. My name is Bo. I'm an undocumented immigrant from Thailand. I don't qualify for doctor, and I've been waiting for a long, long, long time for the citizenship. But more than anything, I've been waiting for this access, access to healthcare, access to work, access to education, access to see my family, my mom, my parents, who I haven't seen in 10 years. After 30 minutes, Gene decides to see if anything's cooking over at the Department of Interior, where it's rumored the Freedom Riders will be serenading Cabinet Secretary Deb Holland. We leave our trusted cohort, Chuck Banner, from the Lakota People's Law Project with Chase in case he's given an opportunity to speak and hitch a ride with Gene. You know that park pig? He's sure a hot shot, huh? See him out there good? <laughs> hope they get to talk. It's a lot of crowd. Jean looks back at the rally as we sit at a red light. She's driving a big truck. Rory rides shotgun. I'm in the back with Jean's friend, Lana. They're all fighting to be Americans, but we're fighting to not be part of them. <laughs> so good, though. They need to have some stability. But we were in charge. They're already welcome. And the United States government treated them wrong by taking their kids, just like they did to, the, to our children in the residential boarding schools. The 215 they found, and we know that number is not accurate. Back at the We Can't Wait rally, Bernie delivers the keynote address. In the front row, just 10 feet or so from the podium, Leonard's supporters are highly visible. We begin by thanking 
our undocumented brothers and sisters for being on the front line in providing critical services during this pandemic. They have put their lives on the line and in some cases have died to keep this economy going. Our job now is comprehensive immigration reform. Thank you all very much. In the truck, we're now en route to the Bureau of Indian Affairs at 1849 C Street Northwest after rocking up at the Department of the Interior and finding no sign of Horse Nation. Okay. Should we get an FBI shirt? Should we go X on it? <laughs> yeah. We've got some red paint. As we grind through rush hour traffic, Gene's grandson Dre texts with good news. Oh, they're going to let them talk at three? Amazing. The We Can't Wait organizers agree to let Chase address the crowd. Keep going. I think we just passed it. That's D Street. We make three right turns and eventually find BIA headquarters, where we bump into Chief Eagle Man. He doesn't look happy. What's up, people? I don't even know why we're actually here, but they want to <laughs> go in there and talk treaties with the BIA. I mean, I don't know nothing about treaties. Yeah, and, that's I mean, a dangerous move. I don't know what the hell Ken's thinking. Ken Forecloud, the creator of the Freedom Ride, sits on top of his horse by the rickety trailer across the street. He's wearing dirty jeans and a Harley tank. So you're the first person to start this rally. Was it back in 2018, Ken? Yeah, I think so. I'm not feeling so good today, boys. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe do you need some water? You're good? Okay, we won't Ken didn't really feel much like talking to us, but Gemma, a 30-something Native American mom, waves us over as she saddles a horse. Her 10-year-old daughter, Maya, waits patiently in the shade of the trailer. I just came in from Taos, New Mexico, USA. I'm from Womaniti Earth Native Sanctuary. We're a nonprofit supporting human rights with hemp and horses. I helped uh, sponsor the bus to get here with the Wounded Knee Elders and the sacred Ayate Owan drums. And I'm just grateful to be here. This is uh, an incredible horse here. Name's Raven. We have incredible horses here with us. Right now, to somehow get in a meeting with Deb Holland. And we'll see you there. Free Leonard Peltier, Freedom Riders 2021. As the Secretary of the Interior, part of Deb Holland's duties include overseeing the Bureau of Indian Affairs. But back in April 2020, while serving as a Congresswoman from New Mexico, Ms. Holland co-wrote a clemency letter on Leonard's behalf to President Trump. So that's why Gemma, Ken, and Horse Nation are hoping to get her ear today. We trail behind the Freedom Riders as they climb the front steps of BIA headquarters and park their horses by the front door. Within moments, security is on the case. Make it to the street. We're here right now performing a religious freedom ceremony. These are our lands. And we've come here and keep Please call Deb Holland. Please call Deb Holland down. Please call Deb Holland. We're here. We have our sacred Chinupa. We're here to have a meeting with Deb Holland. Please tell Deb Holland that we're here. We're the Leonard Peltier Freedom Riders 2021. Please At this point, there's about 10 of us on the front steps of BIA headquarters. Gemma, Ken, and a younger gentleman are all on horseback. The rest of us, including Chief Eagle Man, are on foot. This is the same BIA building Russell Means, Dennis Banks, and Leonard Peltier occupied for a week back when President Nixon was running for re-election in 1972. 
The incident was the precursor for the 71-day occupation of Wounded Knee in 1973, which still stands as the longest civil disorder in American history. Who's in charge? Who's in charge out here? We're all in charge. We're all a group. We're all one. That's Ken. We should also mention here that two of the press guys from yesterday are back documenting everything on their phones again. Their ringleader, Mr. Question, Carol's infiltrator, is MIA. We have come here for our, our own human rights, as Native Americans, and this is the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and they should be able to help us hand a knee because we are Native American Indians here. The commotion sends a pasty bureaucrat scurrying out of the building. He promises to send someone out to talk with us if the horses are removed from the stairs. The Freedom Riders comply, and the pencil pusher disappears inside. But as the minutes tick on, and it becomes clear neither Deb Holland nor anyone else of any significance is coming out, Ken loses his temper and takes his frustrations out on the hapless security team. What is your job? Just, just wait for the gentleman to come What is your job? Sir. Can you do your job? You don't identify me, you're nothing to me. You're just a man standing with a fucking gun. Okay. That ain't shit. Okay, sir. Why is Deb Holland not down here? What, do I need to be after 20 minutes or so, a different pasty bureaucrat emerges and engages with Ken. Well, you're trying to make trouble now. You're a tyrant, too, then, if you're sticking up for this bullshit. You guys need to write a letter. We've written letters. They, they, they don't respond. We've written letters all the time. Deb wrote a letter herself last year. It's a slow process. It is. can't give up. Never have, never will. All right. Meanwhile, back at the We Can't Wait rally, we, the indigenous nations, the indigenous peoples, Pueblo Indigenas, we, we know that there are no illegals on stolen land. We come here in support of clemency and freedom for one of the United States political prisoners. They try to keep him quiet, they try to push him under the rug but we cannot let him be ignored. His name is Leonard Peltier. Thank you for giving us this time. My relatives, thank you. Madakuye Oyasi. After the break, things get even weirder. Bonjour. Kisakola Indishinikaz. My name is Kisakola. I'm from the Anishinaabe tribe of northern Minnesota, and you're listening to Leonard. And I grew up on the Iron Range, and I grew up aware of our rights, aware of what happened to our brother Leonard. So I, I became aware at a very young age, as, as many singer-songwriters do of our genre. Of, uh, I call it Native Americana genre. I remember writing with activist Floyd Westerman in Floyd would say, well, in the old days, we would just kick him on the shins with truth. And he says, uh, Keith, you're kind of like a Pied Piper. You make them follow you. And uh, my approach has always been this way, a metaphysical approach. I say we lead people gently to a brutal truth. And I think that's what's going to have to happen for Leonard. A lot of people are going to have to come to this metaphysical understanding of what it is and why he is and what he's in jail for. Leonard has become a symbol for native rights and sovereignty and, and all those things that are important to us. We could define our native rights by defining his. 
And so until we're all free, we're not free. It's Friday, June 25th, 2021, the 145th anniversary of the Battle of Greasy Grass, aka the Battle of Little Bighorn. On this day in history in 1876, Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer and more than 200 troopers and scouts from the Crow tribe were annihilated by a combined force of 1,800 Lakota Sioux and Northern Cheyenne warriors near the Little Bighorn River in present-day Montana. For the Lakota and their leader, Crazy Horse, it was an historic victory. For the United States, it was the first capture of an American flag on U.S. soil since the War of 1812 with Great Britain. To this day, many Lakota are convinced that the massacre at Wounded Knee 14 years later in 1890 was in part a retaliation for this humiliating military loss. That's because the Wounded Knee Massacre was perpetrated by the 7th Cavalry, who after disarming the Lakota, shot them down in ditches, showing no mercy to women or children. For these deeds, 20 soldiers were awarded Congressional Medals of Honor, but today there is a bill in Congress that would strip these commendations, the Remove the Stain Act. Today, the Buffalo Soldiers Association is proclaiming their support of the legislation and apologizing for their role in the Wounded Knee Massacre to the surviving family members who have traveled all the way from Pine Ridge for the event. The Uptown Boys, an intertribal powwow drum group based in Washington, D.C., kick things off. With solidarity and reverence, the Buffalo Soldiers Associations, on behalf of our members, families, and friends, and the descendants of the 9th and 10th Cavalry and the 24th and 25th Infantry Regiments of the U.S. Army, proclaim our unwavering support of our Native American brethren and stand for the sentiment embodied in the Remove the Stain Act. Buffalo Soldier was the nickname given by Native American tribes to the Black Cavalry who fought in the Indian Wars. It's also a super dank Bob Marley classic. We honor soldiers of all colors, national origins, and religions. And we pay our most heartfelt respects to the Native American veterans whose heroics are honored by the solemn National Native American Veterans Memorial that we are blessed to preside at today. The suffering at Wounded Knee Creek has in some ways passed across generations. We know too well that people can remain traumatized today by the atrocities that occurred long in the past. We just mourned the centennial passing of the Tulsa Race Massacre in 1921, in which a neighborhood of blacks perished with their homes, promises, businesses, and legacies at the hands of a violent white mob. We also understand how reparations, even symbolic ones, can provide restorative healing. Sometimes old scabs must be torn, revealing painful truths before regeneration can take hold. Also attending the event are Hawaii Congressman Kai Kahili and Kansas Congresswoman Sharice Davids, who both deliver remarks in support of the Remove the Stain Act. But the speaker who receives a standing ovation that day is Marcella LeBeau, a 101-year-old Native American veteran. 
Marcella was an army nurse and served in World War II on the beaches of Normandy during D-Day, the largest military invasion ever assembled. Our people have been through a lot in this country, beginning with the Doctrine of Discovery. When people came in here thinking all this land was open and free, they gave us the name Indian. We are not Indians, we are natives. So many things have happened to us. My great-grandfather fought in the Battle of the Little Bighorn, rain in the face. They were defending themselves, and they won that battle. And we won that fight. My great-grandfather, Forbear, signed the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868. They gave him an allotment of land, our land, they gave it to him. He was to stay there, and if he left, he would have been shot as a hostile if he didn't have permission to leave and to come back. But I'm looking to the seventh generation to support the move and that. And so this is a great day, and our friends, the Buffalo Soldiers, we're all together now. And I will thank you all for being here. Text Gene the location of the event, and the bus drops off around 20 Peltier supporters in red Free Leonard t-shirts, just in time for the group photos. During a lull in the action, Gene catches up Chase on developments with the Freedom Riders. You know, there's positive to it because they're doing, I guess, they did the thing at the Department of Interior yesterday while we were doing the stock, I think. The horses add the extra... Yeah, Spiritual coming together. Horse nation right there. You know? When yeah. we first walked that first day, yeah, they showed up two hours late and we were waiting. And that guy like, be here by eight. I'm going to be here. You guys come or not, we're going. Okay, well, we're there at 8 or 7.30. <laughs> I think they showed about 9.30 or 10. But they took off like, when people are walking, can't keep up with horses. Right. So, I don't know if that was on purpose, but it felt like it was. Yeah. And then they sent it. Oh yeah, they sent another paper to the Gazelle. Three guys that you guys seen were press, and there's two other ones. The day before, one of the so-called press guys said they were with the Veteran Liberty Network. Ever heard of it? Well, neither had we. But the organization was registered in the state of Arkansas in late April 2021, and their website is coming soon. They came and they brought a paper to us that they wrote a letter to all these people and signed it, Chief. Ken for cloud and we're like who's that you know don't start naming yourself up here that was the first red flag why because because he's not a chief and just because he rode doesn't make him a chief you don't you don't even you know respect the people really I always put sub chief on my title <laughs> oh I forgot you were a chief <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I put it in quotations. <laughs> there were other red flags with the Freedom Riders, too. Gene got a call from a concerned friend after their speaking engagement in St. Louis, 
which was selected as a stop on the tour because it's the home of the United States Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. The same federal court that gifted us Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh is where Leonard's appeal for a new trial was denied back in 1984. When I started hearing stories from our, uh, one of our organizers out of St. Louis that they were walking on the mounds with the horses, which is basically a gravesite. And I'm like, what the heck's going on here, you know? And that Jackson guy was the main talker, and he didn't say anything about Leonard. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, I even asked the girls I was with, did he say anything about Leonard? And they go, no. So, and that's why I decided that maybe we should make sure and come. That Jackson guy is Cash Jackson, a.k.a. Mr. Question, the suspicious character with the press patch who is filming everything on his phone, the one Carol called an infiltrator and agitator. Cash is the face of the Veteran Liberty Network, and from what we could decipher, he was staying with the Freedom Riders and the Defense Committee at a motel in Rockville, Maryland. I told him that we don't allow no drinking, you know, first of all. Like, you know, come out of the motel, sitting outside the big old jug of MD 2020, hello, you know. That's res, I mean, girls. Yeah. And then someone else found the bottle of CLC in one of the grass areas. So, yeah. But then he comes up and asks like that, well, what do you want to do today? I'm like, I don't know, go to the White House. So... We'll see at 2. What time is the news? The tentative plan is for the supporter groups to converge on the White House around 2 p.m. Rory and I split a rideshare back to the Eaton Hotel to drop off Chase, who has to take care of some business for the Lakota People's Law Project. While we're in the middle of grabbing some lunch, Gene texts and lets us know that shit is going down at the White House and the cops are threatening arrests. We should clarify here that Gene and company aren't actually at the White House. They're across the street at Lafayette Square, a seven-acre public park that sits directly north of the White House on H Street. When we get there, Mike fills us in on what we missed. We we called them out real loud with the loudspeaker, and they actually came out. About 30 people came out of the front door. Yeah, they came out, and we uh, called them out for genocide, for uh, slavery, for uh, failure to honor the treaties, failure to offer reparations to African people, for destroying the earth, for Leonard Peltier being in prison, for the uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs and the whole boarding school system in the 19th and 20th centuries. We begged them to please begin the healing by freeing Leonard Peltier. The horse riders are on the move after the park police dispatch animal control. That's Frank, part of the crack press team covering the Peltier Freedom Ride for the Veteran Liberty Network. There is no sign of his colleague, Mr. Question, i.e. Cash Jackson. As Horse Nation retreats, hundreds of Afghan Americans converge on Lafayette Park to protest the withdrawal from Afghanistan which was slated to be completed by September 11th, 2021. We find Jean nearby on a park bench in the shade with Lana, her wing woman. What's the plan now? Nap time for grandmas. <laughs> it's getting hot. Yeah, we're waiting for the bus. They're going to pull up up there. And what time is it? Anybody know? It's about 3 o'clock, I would guess. A bicycle cop rolls by and announces the park's closing. 
No, I'm sitting here for that. Yeah, I'm ready for my bus. <laughs> We're waiting for the bus. They're escorting everybody out. They're corralling them up and pushing them out of the park to close. So now the Freedom Riders are going up to the Capitol. The police empty Lafayette Park and lock up behind us. That's when the bus rumbles into the frame, leaving Andrew and I with a decision. Follow the Freedom Riders or roll with the grannies. The choice is easy. This guy's pointing at us. Let's go quickly, guys. A traffic cop is bugging Mike to get the bus out of a no-parking zone, but he's still loading passengers. So we're getting out of here right now. No, there's there's always for everybody. There's always one. This Indian bus. We need to protect our elders. They didn't need to go to jail for this. That's Dre, Gene's 16-year-old grandson, chiming in as Carol holds court. They allowed us to we're in there for a very long time. sing and to pray. We're there for a while. And yeah, we were there probably good to an hour before they said, you know what, you gotta stop this. And we got the people, the Afghanistan supporters on our side. They stood with us. Yep, Black Lives Matter. Oh my God. Where do you want Mike to go? Back down to where we was. We need to find a bathroom. Hey, yell out the window. Free land of Palestine! Free land of Palestine! Free land of Palestine! After the break, the shit hitteth the fan. Hi, this is Misty Winston, host of The Misty Winston Show on TNT Radio, and you're listening to Leonard, a podcast series about Leonard Peltier. As a staunch advocate for political prisoners and whistleblowers in the United States and around the world, my ultimate goal is to raise public awareness for the wrongly convicted in order to bring them home once and for all. There is no one more deserving of freedom than Leonard Peltier. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and please continue to spread the word and encourage your friends to do the same. To hear my radio show, tune into TNTradio.com or catch me on Twitter at Sarcasm Stardust. To help Leonard, please call the White House comment line at 202-456-1111 Tuesday through Thursday between the hours of 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to leave a message for President Biden. Staff is paying close attention to the call volume, so don't be shy. Let's make the world a better place and set an innocent man free. Free Leonard Peltier. It's Saturday, June 26th, Commemoration Day, the hottest, most humid day of the week, reminding everyone why D.C. is nicknamed The Swamp. In the early morning on the National Mall, Chase bumps into Ken Forcloud, the leader of the Freedom Riders, and interviews him without us. I said, well, what do I need a permit for? I'm an Indian. The Indian don't need a permit. I said, right. where did Sitting Bull get his permit? Tell me that. Where did Crazy Horse get his permit? And they said, well, it's the health certificate part of it. I, I, and then I, I mentioned them, did they have the health certificates in 1492 when they came over here? Right. What the heck is going on here? We, we must have lucked out again. There's some uh, big on. production going on here. About 300 yards away, Teamsters are assembling a very large elevated bandstand. 
looks to be like a Black Lives Matter type thing or another. I see that thing that says Black Boats Matter. Somebody paid a lot of money for that stage. Then out of left field, Ken brings up Carol. I guess he needed to vent. Carol. Um, uh, Goki. Goki, yeah. She, she's been nothing but trouble for me. I don't even want her. Oh, no. Okay. All right. I'm serious. She's just divide the group and yeah. stir the pot and stir up shit. She won't, every time Leonard calls, she'll get up and run out the door. She won't let me talk to him. And I think she's lying to Leonard and whatever Leonard's saying. Shit, I didn't know that. She started a hate campaign against Cash Jackson, a good buddy of mine. Cash Jackson, of course, being Mr. Question, the infiltrator posing as press. Evidently, Cash is a Navy vet who met Ken at Standing Rock during the Dakota Access Pipeline protests. But we hadn't seen the guy anywhere since his day one cameo. So we're not allowed at their events. So we said, said fine, I'll sleep in the ditch and eat grass. But I mean, I'm used to it. The rift between the two groups had come to a breaking point, and the defense committee had banned the Freedom Riders outright from all future events. Of course, we had none of that intel, because we are on the other side of the Smithsonian Native American Museum, talking to Carol on a triangular plot of land we believe is the mythical Quadrant 201. Today we're setting up for a vigil here at the Smithsonian Indian Museum. Uh, we've got some music with us today. We've actually reached out already to Black Lives Matter. They've invited us to their platform at noon. Remember that expensive stage Chase was just rapping about? That's the platform. It's the biggest stage we've seen since we've been in town. We've got the elders a little slow today because we're kind of all really tired and just really exhausted. A lot of walking, a lot of running around, a lot of energy, a lot of screaming out the window, free Leonard! Okay, so I didn't even, I couldn't even talk this morning. So what we're going to do today is just kind of low-key, laid back. We possibly have the Navajo Nation stopping in to show their support. And so Chase is doing his best to round him up and bring him in here. A couple of older stoner dudes are setting up a small portable sound system to provide music and attract passersby. But it's early, and most of the museums are closed, so it's Deadsville. Things go from bad to worse when the park police inform Carol we're not in our permitted area the infamous Quadrant 201. But really, there is a larger issue. I think really the best approach is going to be if you guys can maybe try to self-regulate the horses uh, with our, without our That's involvement. Funny. I knew you were looking at me like that. Without yeah, our yeah. involvement. That's um, right. You know, and obviously, we don't want you, you do what you can. Um, and that's all we can ask. And the, the biggest thing is going to be just not to interfere with the other event. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thank you. What the nicest park ranger in D.C. is trying to say is there's concern Horse Nation will interfere with the Black Voters Matter rally due to kick off in a couple hours on that mammoth bandstand previously mentioned. After that splash of cold water, the group elects to pack it in and coalesce into the BVM event where Chase would soon be speaking. The rally is the last stop on the Freedom Ride for Voting Rights, a nine-city, eight-day tour protesting new voter restriction laws impacting voters of color. Any minute now, thousands of activists would come marching down 3rd Street, concluding the 800-mile march which began a week earlier on Juneteenth in Jackson, Mississippi. Juneteenth is a new federal holiday that commemorates the emancipation of slaves on June 19, 1865 in Texas the last state of the Confederacy with institutional slavery. (laughs) 
The demonstrators parade down 3rd Street in matching red t-shirts with picket signs that read, Protect our freedom to vote. We film them from the front of the pack until three freedom riders swoop in from the side on horseback, cutting off the marchers and trotting right into our shot. Because Ken and his cavalry aren't wearing Peltier shirts or anything recognizably political, no one knows what the hell's going on. Least of all Andrew and I, who distance ourselves from Horse Nation and disappear in the crowd. That's when I remember I left our camera bag with the hard drives containing all of our footage under a tree back at the improvised base camp. While I rush back to secure it, Andrew follows the BVMers toward the stage area, where he encounters Ken and the other Freedom Riders again. But they have a new friend, and he's baffling the largely African-American crowd. This is the first time I spy the man in the American flag cape and Michael Myers mask. He's holding hands with Ken and another rider in a sort of prayer. It was weird. Really weird. Black voters matter! Black voters matter! That's the MC for the day, the Reverend Mark Thompson, a prominent African-American political activist, analyst, and commentator who you'll recognize from the cable news circuit. Amen. We've got a whole list of speakers, and then we got some go-go music. Rory and I reunite with Chase and the group at the side of the stage just as they are being escorted in in preparation for their appearance. You're going to follow me, sir. All right. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Wonderful. This is amazing. That's Jean, and she's not the only one. We're all buzzing. This is exactly who we are. Two minutes up there. So we'll, we'll sing, Our we'll, Constitution we'll speak, and, and then we'll sing for like a minute, assault. and then we'll be done. Chase relays details to Jean's grandson, Dre, who's helping to carry the sacred Oyate drum. We all know the story of Leonard Peltier. We also say we're in utter solidarity with all movements for justice. We want to free Leonard Peltier. Everybody say, free Leonard Peltier! Chase, Gene, Dre, Carol, Mike, Wendy, the Wounded Knee Grannies, and another 20 or more Peltier supporters take to the stage with the sacred Oyate drum. All freedom to all the people. All power. All power to all the people. We made a lot of progress, my relatives. Kola, Iuha, Ichichia. My name is Chase Iron Eyes from the Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. What you see behind me is all of our relatives. We want you to know that we are in this struggle with you. We know that black is beautiful. We know that you are our beautiful African indigenous brothers and sisters. We know that you have a connection to the sacred universe. You have power within you, just like we do. But we also know we cannot settle for platitudes. Juneteenth is a marker of progress. It shows that the President of the United States, the Congress, the Senate, they cannot ignore our power together. We put them in office and they must do more than Juneteenth. They must free all political prisoners. Just 
Mumia Aipu Jamal, Sundiata Akoli, Machulu Shakur, Jalil Mutakin, Leonard Peltier is doing all of our time, and we can't stop, we won't stop. We cannot stop, we won't stop. We know that black votes matter. This is our moment. Our relatives, this is our moment. They cannot ignore us. We are power together. Undeniable, unconquerable, dignified power. My name is Chase Iron Eyes. We're gonna offer a song for all of our relatives here. Hold your hands up and connect with us as we send our voice. Wopila Taka Ichichapelo. Just as Chase concludes his remarks and the sacred Oyate drum begins banging out the AIM song, Captain Cuckoo barges to the front of the stage in his American flag cape, Navy uni, and Michael Myers mask. While security sits on their hands, Gene jumps into action, pulling off Cuckoo's mask, revealing his identity. It's Carol's agitator, the big cheese over at the Veteran Liberty Network, Ken's good buddy from Standing Rock, Cash Jackson. Before Cash can react, Wendy flips the American flag cape over his head and throws his cell phone, wallet, and other pocket remnants into the screaming crowd. As this is all unfolding, the Reverend Mark Thompson comes on stage to reason with Cash. That's when Cash starts undressing, drops to his knees, and raises up his hands like Christ at his crucifixion. That's Cash yelling, they took my babies, and let me speak. At this point, the co-founder of the group Black Voters Matter has seen enough and positions herself in front of Cash with a yard sign held above her head. She's Latasha Brown, one of Glamour Magazine's Women of the Year. One by one, folks join Latasha in front of the stage, raising signs, flags, and whatever else is handy to obfuscate Cash's antics from the crowd, which cheers when security finally removes him from the stage. that wind bless you my relatives all power to all the people all power to all the people my relatives want to free all political prisoners oh sorry about that guy he's not with us thank you all so much let's hear from little peltier defense committee now our, our white brother was up here let me just say this i tried to talk to him he sounds like he had an issue, but I couldn't get him to focus on it. What so I don't know, let's be, let's try to listen to him. Those That's Chase walking off stage in disbelief like everyone there that day. what's going on with him. And I said to him, you know, you can't, it's disrespectful to cut off other speakers, right? And if you have an issue, just tell us what it is and we'll consider whether to join you in the uh, with all right? Let's get, <laughs> that was a microcosm. We cannot forget about the struggle of the indigenous people. As we decompress, Latasha Brown makes her way over to Chase in a show of solidarity. 
when we work together, what happened? Yeah, that's we right. We can shut it down. That's Thank all. you for that. We had y'all back at y'all front. Thank you. That's right. That's all right. It was beautiful. Thank you for your offering. Thank you for your prayer. It worked out. Let me Thank you for All right. Power to people, y'all. Thank you. The creator is blessing our path, but also throwing these challenges in there, you know, just making us all wonder how is that happening? Like, what is going on here? And I couldn't even, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Well, you know what? I'm just going to sing, you know? <laughs> That's Cash. But what's his real name? Oh. Benjamin Winderweedle. His real name is Benjamin Winderweedle. But that must not have sounded cool enough to run for governor on the Libertarian ticket in Illinois back in 2018. So he changed it to Grayson Cash Jackson. They sabotaged what the fuck you guys organized yeah. there. It's not good for Leonard. It's not. No. It's just not. Yeah, this one just chaos. Actually, you know what, Chase? He didn't mess up the event. As a matter of fact, it went, it went on longer. The people loved it. The guy, the MC, came out afterwards and said he did okay, something yeah. wrong with that cat. It was a, it's a beautiful. He played story. a role. So <laughs> it's crazy, but that's how it I have to. Like, yeah, it looks like. Well, to me, it's like the Peltier community's always being attacked. That's why I came. Yes. Because I didn't trust the freedom I. I'm so glad you came. We were just thinking about it last night. When they went to St. Louis, they didn't represent Leonard Peltier. They went in, and he was doing the talking, talking about DSS and his children. You know, nothing about Peltier. That's why I was like, what the hell? We did some Googling on Benjamin Winderweedle, alias Cash Jackson, and it appears that after his divorce, he was denied visitation rights, allegedly for failure to pay child support and domestic abuse, which is presumably why he changed his name to run for governor of Illinois. Since then, Jackson threatened the lives of two judges presiding over his case in family court, threats which landed him behind bars in Arkansas, where he is currently awaiting extradition to Illinois, as far as we can tell. We should also clarify here that Cash spells his name with a K, not a C, the way cool people spell it, i.e. Johnny Cash, Australian tennis icon Pat Cash, or the New Orleans rap supergroup Cash Money Millionaires. Nope, it's Cash with a K, and not a backwards one like corn, leaving us to wonder whether or not his unconventional spelling is supposed to be an alt-right dog whistle, or just bad taste. We couldn't be sure. But what we did know is that just the day before, Cash's associate, Frank, bragged they had boots on the ground during the January 6th attack on the Capitol, an attack that we now know was instigated by white supremacist agitators. But then again, it shows how we're attacked by white supremacy, which that guy looks like. Like he tried to, he, yeah. he tried to steal the him, show, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, Well, he's not going to kick him in the back like I felt like, really. Holy I pulled fuck. off the... Uh, you were about ready to fucking. I pulled oh, you were about to put it in the, the I pulled the mask the, off and then the grabbed the flag. <laughs> <and> the, <laughs> you know what? I heard someone say you're not you're not supposed to be here. And I looked down and it's fucking cash. But it's really funny. I Maybe mean, these guys are uh, operatives, provocateurs. That's what I'm saying too. Maybe they are. They were. Fucking infiltrate one of the whole, made, yeah the arms of the movement, the horse ride. Yeah, and they did. You see them when they came, and they were parent. Where is I was, I was trying to make peace with them, and, and they and they're like going shit on us like that. Man. Well, they weren't. So either we met an undercover federal agent, or your garden variety backyard luchador slash white supremacist agitator in an American flag cape, Navy uni, and Michael Myers mask. As we reflected on all the craziness, we grew increasingly suspicious of some of the Freedom Riders' motives. 
specifically Cash and his entourage of rednecky white vets. Supposedly, they were participating in the Freedom Ride to support Ken in his mission to raise awareness about Leonard. But reportedly, they didn't even mention Leonard at the stop in St. Louis. All Cash had talked about was DSS. And what does DSS have to do with Leonard? Nothing. It's a total non sequitur. If Cash were genuinely concerned with family court reform, there are a lot more effective ways to influence decision makers than piggybacking on the Peltier Freedom Ride and shoehorning your own personal bugaboos into the discourse. That's why we don't believe that they were there to help Leonard. We believe that they were there to discredit him by muddying the waters and sowing division. Why else would Cash get on stage at a Black Voters Matter rally in that outrageous costume? No one could honestly believe dressing like the KKK's Phantom of the Opera was going to amplify his message and get him heard that day. Which leads us to the conclusion that maybe what we had just witnessed was the FBI's version of COINTELPRO in 2021. Maybe it was all just an elaborate stunt to sabotage a powerful political moment for Leonard. Or maybe it was just a random episode of mental illness. We'll likely never know, but it wouldn't be the first time the feds infiltrated a political movement. Earlier, we referenced their infiltration of the Black Panthers, but the Bureau also infiltrated AIM. One of their most famous informants was Douglas Durham, a white guy from Iowa who passed himself off as a Native American and became AIM's first national director of security. In 1974, Durham secretly relayed information to the government while Dennis Banks and Russell Means were on trial in Minnesota for their roles in the Wounded Knee occupation. According to Wickledock attorney Ken Tilson, there was no person other than defense counsel and the defendants themselves who knew more about the total plans, concerns, and stratagems of the defense than Douglas Durham. Although Means and Banks were ultimately acquitted on all charges, a lot of damage had already been done. In the days before Durham's exposure, 28 Amsters were arrested on a single weekend, crippling the organization in the years to come. Durham's exposure as an informant and agent provocateur attracted the attention of Idaho Senator Frank Church, who created the Church Committee in January 1975 to investigate reports of domestic spying in the FBI, NSA, and CIA. On May 2, 1975, Durham was interviewed by Senate staff who then subpoenaed him to testify before the full committee. On June 23, Attorney General Edward Levi received a formal letter laying out the committee's intention to conduct interviews with the former bureau informant. But on June 27, one day after the Oglala firefight, these plans were abandoned. And thus, the Church Committee's investigation of COINTELPRO and AIM came to a sudden and unfortunate end, in what is a curious timeline to say the least. But there's something else you should know about Durham. He was a disgraced cop. Following the unexplained death of his first wife in 1964, the Des Moines police dismissed him from the force after he was diagnosed as a paranoid schizoid personality with violent tendencies who was unfit for employment involving the public trust. The Des Moines police thought he knocked off his woman, which means the FBI thought he did too. So if the FBI was willing to work with an alleged killer like Durham, they'd be willing to work with an alleged deadbeat like Cash Jackson. His mental fragility gives the Bureau exactly what they'd want from a provocateur or agitator. Plausible deniability. These are the thoughts racing through our minds as we try to process the events of the past few days, when a longtime Leonard supporter emerges from the crowd. I have known Leonard's case for more than 40 years. This is Shaheen, a physics professor at a small college in Pennsylvania. 
This is the only murder case I know in the United States that he was convicted on circumstantial evidence. That's illegal. And the other illegal thing is that if you are in a federal penitentiary, you have to be located close where your families are. South Dakota, Minnesota, there, Florida, here. Why? Torture. Mental torture. So, yeah, I'm an absolute support of Mr. Peltier. He is my brother. He is my brother. I even was telling lady, I'm retiring next year. I'm willing to go to jail if they let him go. Yeah, I'll go to jail, take a couple of books, because that's all I need. He can go join his family. We were all upset and shaken by what had transpired on stage. But maybe there was a silver lining. Maybe the stunt had backfired. Sure, it succeeded in driving a wedge between the Freedom Riders and the Defense Committee, but it also brought the rest of us closer through a shared experience. Shaheen was living proof. He was energized by everything he'd witnessed. And more of that good medicine is exactly what will be needed to embolden President Biden to set aside the protests of the FBI and with the flick of a wrist, write an incredible wrong that after nearly half a century behind bars would give one man some modicum of justice. This episode is dedicated to Larry Hildes, who passed away in November 2021 after battling a long illness. This podcast is produced, written, and edited on Tongva land by Rory Owen Delaney and Andrew Fuller. Kevin McKiernan serves as our consulting producer. Thanks to Wendy Weiner for portraying the FBI's Betsy Glick. Thanks to Bobby Halverson for the original music we're using throughout this series. And thanks to Mike Casentini at the Network Studios for his engineering assistance, and to Peter Lordson and Sycamore Sound for their audio mixing. Special thanks to the hostess with the mostess, Guarina Lopez-Davis, for her incredible generosity. And thanks most of all to Leonard Peltier. To get involved and help Leonard, go to whoisleonardpeltier.info or find us on social media at Leonard underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram or Facebook.com backslash Leonard podcast. This podcast is a production of Man Bites Dog Films, LLC. Free Leonard Peltier. <laughs>